Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Perks of Being a Wallflower. The Perks of Being a Wallflower was written by Stephen Chbosky and was published in 1999. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2012, and this is a first, I believe, for the podcast, was directed by Stephen Chbosky as well. What? What? <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, the the author directing the film adaptation, I think, is is a first for us, which yeah. is, is interesting to discuss. And he also wrote the screenplay, so we've got a triple author threat a here. A triple threat. <laughs> he's got all the bases covered. He's, he's good. He's good to go. And we also want to mention first off that this is a patron-requested episode. So our wonderful patron, Katie... Uh, not the Katie who requested the Little Prince episode. This no. is Katie with a D uh, requested that we do this episode. Yeah, so thank you, Katie. We'll be reading her comments at the end of the episode. We also want to wish Katie a happy birthday. Her birthday is only a few days after this episode is released. Yes. So happy birthday, Katie. We are very happy the timing worked out this way. Yeah. We, we did not plan it, but <laughs> happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this, is, this has been on our list for a while for a couple of reasons. The first reason... In general. So so thank you, Katie. This was a great recommendation. Uh, the first general reason, I think, is just that this book has kind of been uh, a cult favorite for many, many years now uh, with young adult readers. Definitely. And considering this first came out in 1999, how old the teens that first read that book would be now. Yeah. It's really interesting to think about how this book still has an impact. It was funny. We were talking to some friends earlier and our one friend Laura was saying that like when she she read this book as a teen and like devoured it and like someone gave it to her and like this is the type of story that comes up a lot with this book Mm -hmm. that like someone passed it to them you know what I mean yeah like that it was passed like hand to hand through schools through friend groups that like word of mouth kind of really spread this book a lot Mm -hmm. um and how teens like just really really related with it immediately well and i also you know in in praising the book just kind of love the format of it it's kind of this i think they call it like a pocket book or something yeah and it's got a really really cool designed cover on it like i think it just feels really unique just at a glance and also it's very short which is yeah not always a plus but like i think people underestimate a short book i think it makes it like bingeable, mm-hmm. which is like a more modern word to describe it. But like lots of people will read it all in one sitting or like will find that they are compulsively coming back to it. Yeah, I read not half of it, but like a good chunk of it in one sitting one one night, which is pretty rare for me. I usually well, I shouldn't say rare. Usually I have to be like it's like at the end of our deadline for <laughs> finishing a book when I have so to really have to, so I have to do it. But like yeah. I actually just felt compelled to keep reading at this time. So uh, also, the other reason we've wanted to talk about this adaptation for a while is it's set in Pittsburgh, our hometown. Yes. So this book takes place in Pittsburgh. The movie takes place in Pittsburgh. The author grew up in Pittsburgh and they filmed the movie in Pittsburgh. This isn't like one of those movies that's or books that's set in New York City and then they don't film it there. Like, And they film it in Pittsburgh. We just watched um, <laughs> An American Pickle, the new Seth Rogen movie, which... It's set. Well, yeah, I knew it was filmed in Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh has, like, a Picklesburg 
um, festival and everything. So Pickles, you know, Heinz is here. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, a pickle movie in Pittsburgh. Perfect. And then it was fucking set in Manhattan. I know, but they filmed it but here. But they filmed it here, like very close to where we live. So that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But I was very jaded about it. Yeah, this is like... It's in Pittsburgh. All Everything is in Pittsburgh, all the scenes. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about it more throughout um, because like multiple different places and locations in Pittsburgh are mentioned. And, you know, since we live here, we know about them. Yeah. And it feels like the author slash director yeah. uh, just has a actual love. I mean, like we said, he grew up here, but like really still has fond memories of it and wanted to capture it in a way, which is like really cool, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I've read interviews with him and he's talked about how he lives in L.A. now, but he always says that like when it comes to him writing things, he always comes back to Pittsburgh hmm. in his mind. That's and, like, interesting. It's just like at the core of who he is so strongly. Yeah. And he has like a deep affection for it, um, but obviously has chosen to live his life elsewhere i also think there's a trend with young adult stories taking place in pittsburgh or coming of age stories uh you have this you have me earl and the dying girl uh adventureland was like oh yeah. not officially set here but filmed here and has that vibe yeah also like the mysteries of pittsburgh slash wonder boys is kind of yeah. yeah pittsburgh's like where people grow up and then they leave and then they leave <laughs> especially in like the 80s and 90s yeah specifically it <laughs> wasn't a good time for pennsylvania <laughs> <laughs> So both the book and the movie kind of take on this interesting convention of the story being told in the form of letters. Yeah. Uh, The book is literally, and there's a term for this, I forget what it is. Um, Epistolatory? I'm saying that totally wrong. Epistolary? (laughs) I think that's it, yeah. It's one of those words that I only read and don't say, so don't make fun of me. (laughs) Uh, But a a whole book in the form of just letters. Yeah. Uh, That's the book. It's just one letter after another after another. And the movie is, there's the voiceover, and we know that Charlie, the main character, is writing letters to someone. Yeah. So the voiceover that we hear from Charlie is we at least know in the form of the letter writing, which I think is interesting and at least gives some context to the voiceover. Yeah. But we also see like events unfolding. Yeah. Um, So I think that's interesting to balance in a movie because like it is easier to be like, all right, here are the letters. I'm just going to write everything and describe everything. And then when you go to make it into a movie, it's like, well, how much do we want to show and how much, is happening like within Charlie, the main character's perception. Because mm-hmm. when we have the letters, it's all from his perspective. I, I think Shabosky said in an interview, like that form of uh, novel, the letter writing is like the most uh, subjective yeah. form of like writing you can possibly do. Like it's just so much the character and like who they're talking to and kind of like all those uh, factors you kind of have to like keep in mind. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it's a really interesting, and, and on top of that, there's kind of this mystery, which never goes answered, but we don't know who he's writing to. Yeah, he calls, he just says, dear friend, and he specifically says that, like, I heard someone say one time that you could have slept with someone at a party, but you chose not to, and that makes me think that you're a good person. (laughs) Yeah, it's odd criteria, but. I'm like, you know what, I get it, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's clear, though, and I think we'll get into a discussion a little bit more about Charlie, who's the main character, that he is very lonely. Yeah. And is, like, reaching out. Yeah, and I really love this because it's so smart in the way 
because I mean, based on the themes of the book, this is about a very introverted kid yeah. who's kind of like expressing all these things about himself to someone. And I think overall, the person he's like writing to, I'm using air quotes, is like <laughs> you, the reader. Yes. And you're supposed to be like kind of taking the place of that mystery person. And I think that's so smart because like clearly I think many of us know someone like Charlie or have known someone like Charlie who we've maybe like not thought twi- twice about, like, kind of disregarded. Yeah. And I think the kind of point of this format in this story is to make us, like, reflect on our own lives and consider those people and that, like, maybe there's a lot of hidden depth to them that we're not considering. Yeah, and it makes us a part of Charlie's story. You know, he's telling yeah. it to us. Um, And Charlie is starting his freshman year of high school. Um, And we find out pretty early on in the story that... Um, his best friend in middle school, and I think for a long time growing up, um, recently killed himself. Yeah, that's kind of in the book thrown at us like really early on. We find out he never left a note. um, And there's just kind of some very sad details about it. And Charlie kind of reflects on him periodically throughout the book, kind of, and trying to kind of understand him and, you know, uh, what led him to do what he did. Uh, So this is something that's clearly like weighing on Charlie. It's one of many things (laughs) weighing on Charlie in this story. Yeah. Uh, But yes, this is kind of like the backdrop of what we're starting off with immediately. Yeah. And we should say right here too, that this episode and this story, this movie and book, you know, have like mentions of suicide, mentions of rape, mentions of abuse and like a lot of, you know, drug use and things like that. So just yeah, get content that out there warnings, right now. you know, just so you're aware. Yeah. Uh, so he's beginning uh, his first uh, year of high school. He does meet one cool teacher played by a cool Paul Rudd. Oh, yeah. Paul Rudd is perfect for this. He's great. I, I thought that was <laughs> such smart casting. And this was really, I mean, I, I shouldn't say this was before he became really big. It was around that time, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but he's, like, perfect in this role, I think. He does, like, a really good job with it. Yeah, and he immediately takes an interest in Charlie and sees that he's intelligent and smart and that he needs to be kind of pulled out of his shell a little bit. So he actually gives him, like, extra assignments and all these books to read. He decides to be really nice to him and give him extra homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially. No, yeah. But it's interesting. I really love the way um, past like literature plays a part in this story in both the book and the movie. This book has been compared a lot to The Catcher in the Rye, um, which is also a story about kind of a teen boy in crisis Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out his place in the world and not understanding the adults around him and like kind of the pain in the world. I think they're very different. um, And I hope that this story is relevant in the way that that story was relevant when it came out. But like there's other books that are mentioned, like The Great Gatsby, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, the, quite a few that I've like never heard of before, like Naked Lunch, mm-hmm. I think was one. And so, yeah, and he just kind of like is reading these books and writing reports on them and like just kind of like having these sit down discussions with Bill throughout the year. Yeah. And it's kind of a cool 
he's a cool character and these are cool scenes. And I like this dynamic that goes on. Yeah. And Charlie, you know, lives with his brother and sister and mom and dad. His brother has just gone off to college to play football for Penn State. Yeah. His family is very proud of him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another hometown reference. Exactly. Um, And his sister and he kind of have like a mixed relationship at this point. She's really antagonistic towards him. Yeah. He's just kind of like, okay. Like he's just very kind of just lets things I don't want to say roll off of him, but like just kind of knows that's her personality. And yeah, and he's the youngest of the family. And clearly, like, we know that he's had some problems growing up, like not just with his, you know, friend committing suicide, but also like has gone through a bad time when he was younger as well. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I, I just want to talk a little bit about like clearly he has like trauma going on and he's struggling with depression as well. Yeah, there's, um, it's very hard to, I think, discern in the book. In the film, I think it's a little bit more straightforward. He's just kind of like an awkward, shy, yeah. introverted teen. But once again, in the book, you know, those firsthand accounts and letter writing and like you're really getting into his head. Um, it was on, I'll be honest, it was kind of hard for me to get into this book a little bit at first. Or I shouldn't say get into it, but like relate to charlie is a character or kind of understand him because mm-hmm. i under like i get that he's you know uh a little socially awkward and i have read and heard that like a lot of people suspect he might be on the spectrum yeah he might be autistic to a degree um but like obviously there's other factors uh to his character we find out more later yeah uh, but regardless of that there are points when like this aspect of him the the social awkwardness is heightened so much especially at the beginning especially at the beginning and it's hard to tell i'm like does it just get better or do i get more used to it i think it's a little bit of i think both. it gets better i think it does get better for sure uh but like uh, there's a scene when he I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but like he is a dream of Sam when they're naked and like he feels like super guilty about it and decides to tell Sam about it. And he's like crying and I'm like, whoa, dude, like and you can't help but think in like Sam's perspective in that moment. Like how like could you how would you handle that? And like, would you remain friends with that kid? Because that's like a lot a lot to handle. <laughs> it is. It is really strange. And I think, like you said, there's a lot of different things that can explain his behavior. It could just be his personality. Could be that he is on um, the autism spectrum. Um, could be that he is dealing with depression or the fact that he clearly is dealing with PTSD from things that happened in his childhood. So, like, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and it kind of, like, for me... At points, just kind of broke the believability. And, like, there are big moments like that where I'm like, I can't imagine anyone who would still, like, want to hang out with him after something like that. Yeah. Um. But on top of that, like, smaller moments when in his letter writing when he's like, we did Secret Santa. Do you know what Secret Santa is? Or, like, he explains, like, what masturbation is. Yeah. And it's, like, a very, like, he feels kind naive. of overly naive and, like, juvenile at points. Yeah. Um, which maybe just gives him more room to grow as the story goes, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but it did, it was a bit of a barrier for me at the beginning of reading this story. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about Sam and Patrick. Yes, because they enter the story fairly early. Yeah. Uh, it begins with Patrick, 
who uh, is also known as Nothing. Yes. Uh, at the beginning of this story, because he has Woodshop with Charlie. Yeah. And Charlie's just kind of immediately, he takes a liking to Patrick because he's very, he's got a kind of this like, jovial kind of lighthearted spirit about him yes like he makes fun of the woodshop teacher but he's like it's not in the mean way or anything it's just kind of like in the spirit of fun Mm -hmm. and And he's one of those people too that people keep calling him nothing and he you know lets it roll off him he's like i don't give a fuck like yeah i love that about him like and i think it's portrayed really well in the movie too like when some kids like it's kind of that balance of like the joke is on him. Yeah. But he's also kind of like not caring. And I think like people also respect that about him to a degree. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting character that is portrayed well. Uh, and so Charlie runs into Patrick at a football game and this is where he meets Sam as well. Mm-hmm. His uh, stepsister. Yeah. Patrick and Sam are step siblings. Um, and they kind of take a liking to Charlie and they all, after the football game, hang out at either the big boy or the Kings, depending (laughs) on which version you're reading. Now, there's no big boy in Pittsburgh as far as I know now. Yeah, maybe in the 80s or 90s. I think all the big boys went out of business. That's what I, I wasn't sure, because I'm like, it could just be like in another region kind of now. Yeah. But like, I don't think there's any big boy in this area. No. But Kings... Is a local chain yes. of restaurants, which I really am happy to see them represented in the film. Yes. that they go to Kings. <laughs> yeah, and the author specifically stated that the the Kings that they filmed at are is like the Kings that his family like always went to. Yeah, and there's a few <laughs> spots like that too. Yeah, uh, where they go see Rocky Horror Picture Show is where he originally saw it when he yeah. was in high school. So mm-hmm. a lot of cool things like that as well. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so they they kind of. Um, they go to Kings, they hang out and have food. And and I think Charlie feels like kind of embraced by them in a very easy way. Yeah. And despite the fact that they're both seniors and Charlie is a freshman, um, I think Charlie feels like he's able to talk to them about stuff and they don't immediately say like, oh, why are you being so weird or call him, you know, a slur or like something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're kind of. And later on in the story. In the movie, I'm remembering like a a line that Sam says, like, welcome to the island of misfit toys that like her and Patrick and a bunch of their friend group also feel like outcasts, Mm -hmm. even though they are older and they have kind of a connection with each other and they have like a place. They also feel like they don't belong. Yeah, I just I really love the ease of Sam and Patrick's character, especially in the movie. I remember when they drop off um, Charlie at his house that night, Charlie's kind of awkwardly like, well, um, you know, have a good night. And like, Sam is distracted by like yelling at Patrick and they kind of have the, but it's not like mean. They're not ignoring him. No. It's just like, they're already have like an ease with Charlie. Yeah. I think, which I really like. So I think that dynamic works really well. Yeah. So Charlie ends up invited to Sam and Patrick's like friend group party um where he accidentally gets high on a weed brownie (laughs) and this scene didn't only happen in the movie but i loved it um he gets high in both versions but in the movie he kind of starts like dealing out these truth bombs when he's high and i I like to call this um charlie's pot takes (laughs) yeah yeah i I think this is a great great uh labeling of this scene yeah because charlie's just like i he's like what's up with like 
the band getting like Letterman jackets. Oh yeah, and, and he tells Mary Elizabeth that she'll regret her haircut <laughs> later. <laughs> I love that part so much. But I, I think it's so, I don't know, like the one friend is kind of a jerk, the older guy kind of giving him a weed brownie. Yeah. And They're Sam, kind of laughing at him. Yeah, I like this too. Like they're kind of ribbing him, but like not in like too mean of a way. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's high. And then he tells Sam, like, all I want is a milkshake. Yeah. And so we get this really great scene where Sam makes him a milkshake. Yeah. And it it does kind of feel a little bit like an initiation into their group, Mm -hmm. maybe, but like in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's cool too. Cause like when they first get to... In the book, I think all these parties read as, like, kind of larger hangouts. Like, nothing yeah, like party. it's not really party party. When they first get to the house in the film, it feels like a big party. Yeah. And I was like, eh, I don't love this. But then it quickly, I think, focuses in on, like, that group, at least. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so Sam is taking care of a high Charlie, making <laughs> him a milkshake in the kitchen. Yes. Uh, and this is, I think this scene works really well too because you know i think this comes to the challenge of um the screenwriting where uh shabosky you know in the book has this kind of really free form letter writing can kind of just talk about anything and everything as it yeah comes to the character's mind the stream of consciousness yeah but here he has to like work things into the dialogue and i think he does that really effectively a lot yeah uh this is one scene where uh charlie offhandedly mentions his friend is it Michael? Yes. Yeah, Michael. Uh, and Sam asks him, like, oh, and, and where is Michael now? Like, I think curious, like, about if Charlie has friends and stuff. Mm-hmm. As when Charlie says in a very nonchalant way because he's, like, really stoned. He's like, oh, he shot himself last May. Yeah. And I think you see, you really see this, the change in Sam's face when he says that and kind of. And it makes sense that he would be more unguarded when he's high and yeah. kind of let this drop and not even think anything of it. He also um, ends up stumbling across Patrick kissing uh, one of the football stars, Brad. Yeah. In one of the rooms at this like hangout party. Um, And Patrick is immediately like, hey, listen, like, you know, you have to keep this on the down low. Like, you know, we're not telling anybody about this. And, you know, Charlie's just like, "Okay, whatever. I'm good. I just want my milkshake. (laughs) (laughs) But clearly Sam, and especially in the movie, makes this very apparent, um, feels like with finding this out about what Charlie has been through and feeling like he doesn't have any friends, that they need to adopt him. Yeah. And they get this really great moment where uh, Sam gets everyone to give a toast to Charlie. Yeah. And, you know, Patrick calls him out and calls him a wallflower, but says that he sees people and he sees um, and notices things about others and, like, understands and cares. Yeah. And and Charlie says, like, I didn't think anyone noticed me. And it, it's, a, it's a really good scene, I think. I think it plays out really well. Yeah. Uh, then we get kind of, like, the quintessential perks scene. Yes. When they're driving back from the party... And they're going through the the tunnel, the... Although I don't know how this, like, works. I forget, like, where they're coming from, because they live in the South Hills. Oh, okay. So they would have to be driving to somewhere, like a party or something, hmm. to, like, go through the way we're talking about. Anyway, the context <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> they're, they're driving through the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Yes. And this song comes on, 
And Sam is like, I have to stand up in the back of this truck. Yes. And so she crawls out. And while David Bowie's Heroes plays, she stands. Hey, we don't know what the title of the song is yet, I'm sorry. They don't 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 know. know. (laughs) They didn't have Google back then. Yes. They don't know what the song is. It's just on the radio. Uh, But Sam crawls out onto the back uh, bed of the truck and stands uh, Titanic style with the wind in her face. Uh, while the song blurs in the tunnel, and it's 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 a really cool moment in both versions of the story. Yeah, and if you've ever been to Pittsburgh or don't know anything about Pittsburgh, either way, the Fort Pitt Tunnel is really cool because it goes underneath the mountain on the south side of Pittsburgh. And if you're heading north into the city, you go through the tunnel, you can't see anything, nothing of the city at all, just like hills and mountains. You go into the tunnel, and then when you come out, Boom, you're there. Yeah, and like, it's if like it's, downtown right there. If it's nighttime, like everything's lit up. We have the rivers that are like right there. Mm-hmm. The point is right there. It's just, it's gorgeous. And it is, yeah. That's like one of the reasons that we love Pittsburgh so much is because it's so beautiful with the bridges and the rivers. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, kind of in this valley. There's like amazing views that the movie takes advantage of, like on Mount Washington and in other areas. I think that um, one's the West End Overlook. The West End. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, just like so many really nice picturesque scenes. And I love it, too, because it's not like, you know, it's no trick of filming. No. Where that's not really how you would go through the tunnel or, or where you'd come out or something like that. Like, that's it. Like, you can't see anything. And then you're on the other end and it's like downtown. Yeah. It's it's really cool. And it's funny, though, because the movie doesn't really. I feel like it should have panned. To like see like the skyline and to see the river, but it doesn't. It just shows you like the road signs. And I'm like, that's like the least interesting part (laughs) of the view. We're just like move right, like go a little over. Like it's all the only thing I can think of. But I don't I don't really think this would be true. But like if there was some downtown landmark that wasn't there in like 92 or the early 90s. Maybe, but like who cares? Who I know. Who would <laughs> care? Like that's that would be a dumb reason not to show like the skyline. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So uh, you know, David Bowie's heroes, Emma Watson standing in a pickup truck, and I think it's a lot of credit to the movie that like when Charlie gives the line, like I feel uh, infinite, infinite. Thank. I almost forgot. <laughs> You're like, what is the line? <laughs> What's the quintessential line of the movie uh, when he says, "I feel infinite"? Like. It actually works. Like, it's not super cheesy. Yeah. Like, you would imagine it being. Like, it's it's played off very well, I think. Yeah. In the book, they play Landslide um, instead. Yeah. And they, like, actually play it when they go through the tunnel. So they know what song it is. Yeah. But this leads to a question that I wanted to bring up, and maybe we can ask our listeners this as well on social media. So if you're going through the Fort Pitt Tunnel... And you're in the back of a pickup truck mm-hmm. with your hands in the air. Mm-hmm. What song? Like you just don't care. What song do you want to be blaring when you come out and see the city? Ah, uh, yes, yes. We so we both took some time. We yes. looked at our uh, respective music playlists and tried to find like a really good song. And the song I picked out that I really liked is "This Time Tomorrow" by The Kinks. Mm-hmm. It's it's a different vibe than um, David Bowie. Uh, or the song from the book, but like it, it's a really good, just kind of like energetic, positive song. Yeah. Uh, I first heard it from the movie Darjeeling Limited, so I'm just stealing songs from other movies. <laughs> um, but I love that song so much. It's a really, it's a really good song. Yeah. 
A good driving song for sure. Great driving song. What 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 would your song be? Anita? My song would be um, Major Tom Coming Home by Peter Schilling, which is like kind of like a sequel to David Bowie's mm. Major Tom song, which is interesting. Um, but I first heard this song when I was like at this like dance DJ night thing. Um, but I ended up having like this crazy dream about it later and like it really kind of impacted me. But when the chorus like hits and they're like coming, coming home and it like, oh, that's like what I want to see when the city is before me. It's funny. We both like realize there's like connections between the songs we chose about like space and like looking down on earth and stuff so i thought that was funny too yeah kind of like looking at the city as yeah as yeah i think it's like it's a it's a vibe that's appropriate i yeah, think for, yeah. for that scene so. so what is your tunnel song yeah please tell us tweet at us yes comment on instagram email us do your thing let us know what your tunnel song is there's no rules yes <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the rocky horror picture show which I've never seen or I've been seen to, it. You've seen it. Yes. Did you go to one of the screening nights? I went at Edinburgh, which oh. is where I went to college. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, they didn't do what they do in this um, book and movie, which is like have a live performance while the movie is playing, which sounds so awesome. Yeah. But it was more interactive. And like there's things that people yell at certain parts. There's things that they throw kind of like the room, which is funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, But this one obviously came first. Um. But this takes place at the Hollywood Theater, which is in Dormont in the South Hills, which is a real place. And it is the place that um, Stephen Chbosky went to see Rocky Horror when he was younger. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, I get how frequently we only get two scenes of it in the movie. I think it was every week. Every fucking week. Or, like, every month. I don't know. I'm because they kept mentioning the different times they did it. And I kind of forgot, like how frequently it was but i'm like even if it's every month like that's a lot to yeah. like keep going Maybe to I'm the wrong same to say every week i don't know i have no clue but like <laughs> i thought that was like it was just funny that they kept doing the same kind of interactive movie night like so frequently in the story yeah and it's interesting to think about how important that was to like a community of people yeah clearly yeah. not just their friend group like there had to be enough people to show up every time you know uh-huh yeah it's I, I think it's a really cool, uh, it looks super cool. Like I said, I've never been to one of those. Uh-huh. Um, but the movie has convinced me that if I get the chance, I will. Yes. Because uh, l- let's talk here about like Ezra Miller. Yes. As Patrick. Because this scene in particular. Ezra when, Miller as Patrick as Frankenfurter. Yes. <laughs> is just so good. Like in this scene and just in this movie in general, he just has this like. I wish I knew, like, how many lines in the movie were improvised. Yeah. Because whether they are or not, like, he gives them that feeling. Like, that he was throwing out a different line every scene. (laughs) Like, I love the one when Charlie talks about writing about them. Yeah. He's like, you should call it the... Falc- the slut and the falcon. Falcon and the slut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, and, and just so many other lines like throughout the movie are just like so funny and kind of offhanded. He just has this great energy to him. Yeah. Uh, he just, I think, embodied Patrick like perfectly in this story. Definitely. And he has such joy in this performance when he does the Rocky Horror. <laughs> like he is just really enjoying himself. He like 
starts like grinding on Charlie in the audience at <laughs> yeah. one point. Like he is like born to be on the stage, clearly. Yeah, yeah. He just like has this really magnetic personality that's like perfect for it. Yeah. Uh, there's a great scene later in the film and the movie where the guy who plays Rocky usually isn't there that night. Yeah. And so Charlie has to play Rocky. Yeah. Which involves like wearing nothing but like a gold Speedo <laughs> on stage and like dancing slash like kind of groping Sam. Yeah. <laughs> I love in the uh, in the book he talks sp- specifically about like worried about getting an erection on stage. Yeah. And that's relatable. <laughs> I think. Yeah. That, that is a, a real fear to have. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's a great scene in the movie too. I love when like they kind of like strip him down to the speedo. And I think Mary Elizabeth kind of gives this look like, Hmm, like, Like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And not bad. And it's just great to see Charlie like further his journey into kind of like breaking out of his shell. Yeah. Trying new things. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, I guess the next part to talk about would be Christmas. Yeah, they do a cute little friend secret Santa thing. Mm-hmm. This is so cute. Yeah, and uh, Sam, I'm sorry, uh, Charlie had Patrick. Yeah, and so he got him like all these like random little gifts, like a harmonica, and but then like some really thoughtful gifts, like a biography on Harvey Milk. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the movie once again a great Ezra Miller line. He's like listing all these. Uh, gifts. He's oh, like, yeah. gifts so gay that I must have got them for myself. <laughs> I just want to do like a little aside here and commend Charlie because he talks about in the book when he found out that Patrick was gay, he was like, I didn't know a lot about being gay. So I decided to look it up at the library. And that's where I like found out information about Harvey Milk. And then I found this book about Harvey yeah. Milk. And I thought that Patrick would like it. And I'm like, this is how you be an ally to someone. It is. is you don't make them explain it to you. You go do your own research and then you support them. That's such a good point to bring up that like Charlie just like takes the initiative. He looks stuff up on his own. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's great. And I think it's I love these scenes, too, because Charlie also gives individual gifts to like everyone in their group. Yeah. Um, Which like other people had done, but like no one got Charlie anything. But he got everyone something and they were all like really thoughtful gifts even they were even if they were something like very small. Yeah. Like he just got Bob like bubbles to blow. <laughs> yeah. Bob's a simple man. Bob is a simple man. <laughs> uh, but I think, and I really love this too because it really highlights Charlie being a good friend, like not only doing something for everyone, but clearly showing that like he listens and pays attention. Yeah, that noticing part. Yeah, and he he's thoughtful. And I don't know, I just like when we see friends, especially male friends, be so proactive and thoughtful yeah. and engaging in their friendships. Yeah. Instead of being like, nonchalant like aloof assholes like we get in so many movies you know yeah like he really cares he pays attention Mm -hmm. and like follows up and patrick gets him a suit for secret santa which is great because he believes in charlie's ability to be a writer someday which is cool yeah and then sam gives him like an old-fashioned typewriter yeah uh and just asks him to write about them someday they all have a lot of faith in charlie in in his (laughs) writing and i don't think anyone's read anything he's written uh but i appreciate that yeah and then we get this scene with sam and charlie where charlie says he's never been kissed and so Sam kisses him. Yeah, this is uh, a really interesting scene 
you know, they're, they're in her room, first of all. So there's kind of like this tension. Yeah. And then she brings up first, like, the kissing thing. And Charlie asks her about the first time she was kissed. And she kind of brings up this, like, really sad story. And I think the writing in the movie was well done. Because she's like, oh, it was when I was 11. Yeah. Uh, this guy who lived in the neighborhood. But then it's revealed that it was, like, her dad's boss. Yeah. And in the book, it's she's seven. Oh God. I mean, yeah, like it, it's so fucked up in both versions. And you kind of suddenly see like just this trauma that Sam has experienced. Yeah. And you see Charlie kind of like really just empathize with her in that moment. Mm-hmm. But then she says, you know, I want your first kiss to be good and to know that like the person who kisses you uh, really loves you and means it. Yeah. And then she she kisses him in in a kind of you know semi romantic way. Yeah, uh, it's not just like a like a peck. No. Um, and it's so funny because like I, I have to give like all the credit to like Emma Watson for the movie scene specifically. Yeah. Because everything about this scene like to I feel like shouldn't work. Yeah. Like I would feel that's like okay is Sam like playing like kind of games with him? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or is she just like, um like kind of crazy or like cause it's a very odd thing to do yeah and i mean the writing too is good like you understand her motivation for why she's doing what she's doing but i think ultimately emma watson's portrayal of sam uh is so good and she just has such an earnestness about her that like really sells this scene in a way that i wouldn't have thought would have worked maybe on film as well. And I think they've proven to us in the both, both the book and the movie that she's a very kind and generous person. Yeah. You know, we've seen her like take care of Charlie when he's too high. We've seen her kind of notice that he's lonely and he has no friends. You know, we've seen the way she and Patrick are together in their bond. So like we know the type of person that she is. So I think there's a level of trust there as well. Yeah. And I think ultimately Emma Watson, um, really brought a level of just depth and character to Sam. I can't imagine anyone else playing this no. character. And and to be honest, like I like Sam in the book, but I think she is at times like very one dimensional. Mm. Like I don't think she is quite like to me, Patrick just jumps off the page. Yeah. And you get Patrick, you get like his wants and needs and his quirkiness and personality. And like Sam is, is cool. You know what I mean? And obviously very nice. Yeah. Um, but aside from like those moments of like her revealing like the vulnerability of like her past and stuff, I think she does maybe come across as like a little one dimensional, at least I felt mm. and maybe just more compared to Patrick. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I like her as a character. I'm not like saying she's like a manic pixie dream girl or anything like to that level. Yeah. Um, but I just think Emma Watson really elevated the character a lot with her performance. I agree. She brings something more to it. Like she does, like you said, have an earnestness to her. Yeah. So, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the book here and some of the themes in both the book and the movie, but we get, um, kind of this really long part in the book Mm -hmm. between Thanksgiving and Christmas when Charlie and his family go to visit first his mom's side of the family, then his dad's side of the family. Yeah, I am now just realizing I didn't really keep track of whose family was whose when they were visiting. Like, I forget who the Ohio cousins were a part of. <laughs> dads. Or like, dads, okay. I, um, but regardless, uh, we kind of get this broader scope of, like, his family, but then also kind of um, the 
more toxic relationships and dynamics that have existed within his family. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked a lot about Charlie, like, noticing things. And this actually, I think, is something that is harmful to him. I don't want to say it's harmful to him, but I think it plays a role in some of his depression. Um, yeah. In noticing these like structures and patterns in his family and like specifically patterns of abuse um, and generational trauma that can like follow children, you know, into their adult lives. And like, this is weighing really heavily on Charlie's mind during these visits. And like, even afterwards, just that idea that like you kind of, you inherit stuff from your family. Yeah. And sometimes there is no escape for you. Yeah, it, it's near the end of the story um, when he brings up this example, but something about like two brothers who grew up with an alcoholic father. One wouldn't touch a drop of liquor because of what he saw his dad do. And the other who became an alcoholic just like his dad. Yeah. Because he was like basically taught to do so by his father. Yeah. And just that dichotomy. Yeah. Of, like, within families. And also like the sobering statistic that people who grow up in abusive households will either be more likely to abuse themselves or to become abused. Mm-hmm. And we see this in his dad's family, like his dad's stepfather was abusive. And then, you know, his dad's sister ended up in marriages and relationships where she was also abused, you yeah. know? And you know that like, this is just like really sad to Charlie. And he's thinking about his cousins and what they'll turn out to be like and if they'll inherit the same trauma. And like we've seen too earlier in the story that Charlie's sister, um, her boyfriend hit her. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is depicted really well in the story, uh, in the movie too, where he sees this, you know, him hit her. And then shortly after he sees her walking him to his car and them kind of like making up. Yeah. And I just like seeing how quickly that kind of thing can like shift back to uh, the abused forgiving the abuser. Yeah. Whether it's like through guilt or like they claim they regret it, you know, whatever. Like just kind of like how quickly that shift goes back to things being like normal. And I think too, like not wanting to accept that it, either happened or happened to you. Yeah. Um, and we see, you know, Charlie's sister kind of grappling with this throughout the story, um, being with this guy and choosing to stay with him for a long time, despite this happening. And you see Charlie's pain at not knowing how to help her. And there's a great line in both the book and the movie where Charlie's talking to his teacher kind of about this. And his teacher says, we accept the love we think we, we deserve. Yeah, which I mean is such a good line because I think it's so, so true and just summarizes, I I think, a lot of complex issues. You know what I mean? When you see someone in bad relationships and you're like, why would they do that to themselves? I don't understand and it's frustrating. Like, I think that summarizes like a lot of people's where they're at mentally and why they go to these relationships. And unfortunately, it's pretty much every relationship in high school. Not going to lie. Um Uh, yeah yeah I mean because like you're just figuring yourself out and that other person is also figuring themselves out and so 
things are not going to be good. And, you know, we have all these ideas about what relationships are supposed to be like. And Charlie himself is kind of trying to figure that out too. But sometimes these patterns follow us into adulthood. You know, we want to believe that like, you know, we had bad relationships when we were younger and we're getting better. But like, you know, sometimes there is more going on there and there is trauma from childhood or that is passed down from families that can kind of haunt you. Um, and Charlie's really dealing with this a lot in the story, in the book specifically. I also want to talk about like kind of the theme of rape and like sexual abuse that's also here in the story. Yeah, it comes up, um, you know, multiple times. Uh, you know, we have Sam's story about being, you know, kissed by this adult man when she was just a child. Yeah. And kind of just like. I think it's handled really well in the in both versions. And I think, you know, it sticks with me in the film how it's just kind of like mentioned. Yeah. And how sad it is and how like there's no follow up questions. There's no need to discuss it. It's almost like what would he what would we, what would be the purpose? You know what I mean? It's just like that's all you need to know and how fucked up it is. Yeah. And how that has affected her throughout yeah. her life. And I think. This book really expertly handles to the casualness of rape in high school as well. Yeah. Um, And I use the word rape because when someone withholds their consent or has said no, it's rape. So like Charlie, when he's like 13, his brother throws a party and he ends up being in a room where like this girl is drunk and her boyfriend is supposed to be drunk too, I guess. But he like keeps pushing her and pushing her to do like all of these sexual things and essentially rapes her in front of Charlie, which is very traumatic for him. But I think like the book kind of shows us that this is all too common. Yeah. You know, there's something about that story and I do, I know nothing about Shabosky's life or childhood or anything like that. So I don't know if, like, this story is true or comes from any true source, but, like, something about it feels very real. There's some kind of kernel of truth in there. Yeah, the fact that, like, not only this sexual assault occurred, but the fact that it would, like, occur in front of Charlie when he was so young and that, like, the assaulter, like, wouldn't care, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um... I, I, there, there's something that's almost like so twisted about it that like feels like it would be so true or would really happen. Yeah. And I think the book handles this well, kind of showing how prevalent this is. And I think it's like obviously still relevant today when we talk about consent and we talk about yeah. like, you know, n- making sure that, you know, when you are intimate or sexual with someone that like everybody is okay with the situation. Yeah, and, you know, this kind of can go back to to the the fact that this book has been banned a lot yeah. uh, in schools and stuff. And it's frustrating because, like, parents are just, like, sheltering their kids. You know what I mean? By trying to, like, say you can't read this kind of yeah. thing. Because, like, it happens. Kids, it happens. This is the life that, like, lives that teenagers either live or are exposed to where kids are having sex. Kids are doing drugs. Like, kids have been sexually abused. And if you haven't been abused... You should be aware that kids you know may have been abused. And yeah. that especially if you're going to be sexually active, you should be conscientious of those, you know, possibilities. And yeah. And you have to know, like, where your boundaries are, where other people's boundaries are, and not only look out for yourself, but look out for the people that you care about, too. Yeah. I just I love that this is a young adult novel that isn't worried about being constrained by, like, 
the marketability of it or like the yeah. boundaries of it. It's like, listen, I'm going to write a story that would easily have been written by a real teenager and that real teenagers, I think, will be able to relate to. You know, there's obviously subjects of molestation and sexual assault and like physical abuse and like uh I know for a lot of people, it was their first introduction to like reading about any gay characters yeah, uh, or any queer culture or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it's just a very raw book in that way. And I think so much credit is still I mean, it's still a raw book. You know yeah. what I mean? This was like written in 99. I know. <laughs> and it's still like very, quote unquote, edgy. You know what I mean? By a lot of, I think, standards. I, I think we have progressed in the genre a lot, but like yeah. still. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, we will move into the drugs portion <laughs> of our discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got like sex, drugs, alcohol, smoking. Um, here we are at a party where Charlie takes LSD. It's a great shot in the movie uh, where he's taking like the wafer in mass. Yes. And then it's an LSD uh tablet square I, just, I, do, I don't know just the terms like, <laughs> just like chef's kiss to that like I don't even know if it was a cut or if it was like a hidden cut yeah like, but I mean it was just so funny and expertly done uh the book was funny too because like he kind of tells this whole long story about getting fucked up at a party and you don't really understand until the very end of that. That he took LSD. Yeah, that it was LSD. He's like, and I'll never take LSD again. And you're like, oh my God. And you're like, oh, I understand now. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so he takes LSD at this party and there's this great uh, cut to him shoveling in tiny shovelfuls like a circle around him yeah a circle in the snow and sam comes out to see him and he's like i gotta get the the driveway clean. i have to get the driveway shoveled like before someone gets back and um and once again sam just takes care of charlie so well i know when he's stoned and like needs someone like she's just there for him and i appreciate that i do too um, unfortunately, though, this is kind of a bad experience for Charlie. Yeah. Um, and later on, he's kind of like, this sort of fucked me up and I feel like I'm still feeling it. And in the book, she kind of, Sam kind of has to talk him out of it. Yeah. And it's just like, just like, don't even worry about it. Like it's over. <laughs> just like some people are not good on LSD and like, you know that now. So just like, don't do that. <laughs> don't again. do it again. Um, I kind of wanted to talk here a little bit about, like, the tone of the film. Yeah. Because this is something I think the movie pulls off so, so well. And it's so shocking because Shabosky does have experience with, like, screenwriting and in film. Yeah. I think he's probably directed other things before. He went to school for screenwriting, I think, or for film in general. And then kind of writing the book was more secondary, which is interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, so he's had a career in film and television before and after this, but I think he just so expertly sets a tone and a feeling that always feels like there's no jokes that like land flat, you know what I mean? Or like scenes transition from a joke into being more serious really well, like Charlie, the scene of him shoveling snow yeah, to him sitting in the party and everything's kind of going by him mm-hmm. in a really fast, slow, weird way. Yeah. And, and throughout the movie and other scenes that like are more dramatic, that m- 
easily could have been just like melodramatic yes. and cheesy and like, oh, here's the coming of age tale part where he like stands up to the bully. Like, yeah, they're always handled with more nuance and interest than just like the kind of cliche way they could have been addressed. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm still like thinking about this movie because like. I think I saw it in theaters when it came out and I've not seen it since. Oh, really? Yeah. J- yeah. Seriously. This was like mostly new to me again. Wow. Um, and I just think Shabosky does such an amazingly expert job at, you know, obviously the actors and everything, but just ultimately the thing I'm most impressed with is the tone and how like there's a lot of funny parts that are really enjoyable, but they're not overpowered by the more dramatic parts yeah because it is a very sad story but it's also a very uplifting story i think he just nails it i think too it like i've read that he was very protective of this story yeah and he would only let the film be made if he could like write and direct it like those were his conditions interesting so like i think for years like different production companies wanted to adapt it and he refused to let them. Huh. Cause I actually read something. I was going to save it for lightning round, but I'll mention it now. Cause I, I don't know. But like I had read that John Hughes at one point was like attached to this film. Hmm. And now, I mean, these, I don't know if that's true. I don't know either. There were more details. Cause it actually was like his death actually supposedly like interrupted these plans. Hmm. Um, so, because I I never give much thought to those rumors, like oh yeah. such and such was gonna play this guy originally, and what that means is there was a conversation at one point. Yeah. So that could be true, but this also felt like it had more details than usual. So I don't know, but like I can believe that he held back giving this story to anyone else because it feels like he just knew what he wanted it to be so well. Yeah, I think so. Um. What are we talking about now? <laughs> I lost Charlie. track of what we were talking about. Uh, Charlie. Uh, oh, he oh, oh, I'm hospital. sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charlie uh, is found outside after his bad LSD trip and is taken to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, where his parents are like, what happened? And he's like, it definitely wasn't drugs. <laughs> and kind of like blames it on his past mental health problems, which we've gotten allusions to throughout this story in both versions that like he spent some time in a hospital for a while and has maybe been seeing and hearing things in the past that weren't really there. Saw a psychiatrist for a while in the movie. We see him taking pills at one point. So it's sort of unclear where he is in his mental health journey. But we know that when he was young, his Aunt Helen, who lived with the family for a time, died in a car accident. And she died on his birthday. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, well, he has some trauma like associated with that. Because he talks about how close he was in both versions to his Aunt Helen. Yeah. Um, And we get flashbacks in the movie to like the scene of her going out to buy something for his birthday, which is when the car accident happened. Yeah. So you're like... Okay, like, I guess... Maybe I guess, he blames himself. Yeah, it's like, I guess that would be traumatic. Uh, so, yeah, but, like, it, it, you're still kind of left in the dark for the most part as to what is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to say, though, that I like that this story features a lot of Charlie experimenting with drugs. And it's at, at no point is ever, like, 
and this was bad and here's and don't the, do it kids yeah <laughs> here's the repercussions he faced like i think you can read between the lines that like a lot of times especially in the book he's doing drugs because he's not happy yeah and he's trying to numb himself um and but, other characters doing the same yeah and i mean i get the lsd part is like as close to like a cautionary tale as the story ever gets yeah but even that he like gets out of it <laughs> Yeah, and, like, in the book, Sam says, like, well, for some people, it's fine, and some people, like, just shouldn't take LSD. Like, <laughs> Yeah, remember that, kids, when you try it. <laughs> but I, I just like that it's not, like, preachy or, yeah. you know, against uh, um, drugs. And interestingly, in the book, they also smoke a lot. Yes. And I like, I read in an interview with Shabosky that, like, he decided not to have them smoke in the movie because he had struggled with smoking for years and I guess when he was still young but had quit, saw a movie, and I wish I could remember which it was, but the characters were smoking, and he thought they looked so cool that he <laughs> started smoking again. And was like, and smoked for like 17 years <laughs> after that. So he was just like, it's not that important. I don't want to like actually convince kids to smoke. So <laughs> he left it out. I like that. I do too. I agree. <laughs> I'd rather have them smoking pot or doing LSD than like actually just smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Uh, Charlie ends up oddly dating Mary Elizabeth at this point. Which I love this. I love it too. It's so true to high school <laughs> that you're like, you're a person and you're a person. You two should date because yeah. you're both people and, and you like, know each other. And like getting caught up in these weird situations that you don't know how to get out of kind of. Yeah. We're like one person likes the other and the other one just doesn't know how to. Just goes along with it. Yeah. Doesn't know how to say no or like is like, well, we'll just see what, where this goes. And it never no, ends up not well. a good place. No. I love in the movie when um, Mae Whitman, who plays uh, Mary Elizabeth, asks him to the Sadie Hawkins dance. And she's like, I mean, the Sadie Hawkins dance is stupid. It's like, thanks for the crumbs. <laughs> I just like love that line. I love like, that line, too. <laughs> she has so many great moments and lines in this. I know. I love later when it's Ash Wednesday. Yeah. And uh, uh, Charlie shows up at school with like the the mark on his forehead. And she like licks her thumb and like rubs, rubs it, it off. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a lot of great moments like that with her character that are that are great. They are just very mismatched. Um, and I almost think that the book and movie portray her as a little too much, maybe. Like mm. I think they I think they do try to balance it by showing that she is like vulnerable and like a kind person, but they really make her like super overbearing. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like it. For me it was like the right amount, because like <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought she was like super funny and still likable. Yeah. Um, but totally you're like, I know people like that. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I think this really captures di- the dynamic specifically of sometimes when a younger kid hangs out with older kids. Yeah. Because Jesus Christ, like, I mean, I think a lot of people have experienced this, but like I know multiple times when I had friends who were older and we would like do something like have a drink if we were if I was 20 instead of 21 or we saw an R-rated movie when I was like 16 and like those older friends would be like oh my god we're corrupting you and I'm Uh. like I I've I've heard that from like multiple people I don't know why that's like the go-to phrase but like we're corrupting you um but Mary Elizabeth has that quality but instead she's tried to like expose Charlie yeah she's like gonna give him an education yeah and I'm like (laughs) I hardcore relate to like this dynamic (laughs) it 
all goes to shit one night. Um, during Truth or Dare. During Truth or Dare. I love the movie has this scene where it's a hypothetical truth situation. <laughs> where like Patrick asked like, well, how's your relationship going? And he said something like, it's so bad. I fantasize that one of us is dying of cancer. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, okay, can't, can't do truth. That was just my fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so he does dare and in the book he explains he kept doing dare so he wouldn't because like I guess Charlie just can't lie. Yeah. So he keeps doing dare and it all goes to shit when Patrick asks him to kiss the prettiest girl in the room and uh, Charlie's like I might as well be honest and just kiss (laughs) Sam right on the lips in front of Barry Elizabeth. My girlfriend. My girlfriend. Yeah. And everybody's upset. This kind of leads to this really like angry situation with all of their friends. And Patrick actually tells Charlie to stay away for a while. Yeah, you can tell. He's probably mad, too. I mean, you know, he's honestly just giving him honest advice. Yeah. But that he may be a little annoyed about what happened as well. And Charlie's just like really devastated. I mean, I think the book does a good job of like getting more into it of like. He just couldn't do it anymore. (laughs) Yeah, he couldn't tell the truth for so long that he just did something dumb. Yeah. To basically force it to an end. Um, But then he's like, you know, can't talk to Patrick, can't talk to Sam. He's removed from his friend group. Yeah. The scene, the, the movie adds a really good scene where he calls Mary Elizabeth and she tells him like, Stop calling everyone and stop embarrassing yourself. Yeah. Which is just like really heartbreaking. I know. Um, Because you know that's like. A fear when you're that young. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And specifically Charlie's fear fear being such an introvert and those being like his only friends. Yeah. Um, Then things come to a head uh, when a whole situation erupts surrounding Patrick and Brad. Mm -hmm. So the whole like backstory of Patrick and Brad is that like they originally started kind of like fooling around at parties yeah when they were drunk when they were drunk and Brad would either get super drunk on purpose I mean partially true but then also the next day talk so much about how he was so drunk he can't remember anything yeah. kind of almost like not rubbing it in Patrick's face but making a point yes. that like this didn't happen yeah and that went on for a while until uh, Brad's parents kind of like realized how fucked up he was getting at parties. Yeah. And I think went to rehab. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so after that, Brad was kind of like clean or at least got it under control. And then him and Patrick were actually, even though it was still like in secret, were able to have a relationship um, without this whole setup of him not being, having to get fucked up. Yeah. First. And not remembering and stuff. And so it is sad that their relationship kind of had to be built around this, like this secrecy, only doing it at parties, basically. Yeah. Um, but that's how it was going for a while, essentially, um, until one day uh, Brad's father caught them together and his father just started uh, beating the shit out of Brad. Like, yeah. not just... I. Um, Charlie goes into, like, specifically mentioning, like, not, like, slapping him, but, like, beating him. And um, Patrick kind of has to leave. And this kind of like obviously destroys their relationship. You know what I mean? Like they really can't see each other anymore. Mm -hmm. And Charlie hears this 
and hasn't been talking to Patrick, but knows he must be devastated. Yeah. And things kind of like explode later that day at the cafeteria when um, Patrick is tripped in the cafeteria and he kind of confronts Brad in front of everyone. Yeah. Not fully outing him or anything, but like kind of threatening to almost, or at least, you know. Because Brad is like totally ignoring him at this point and is just being like really cold to Patrick. And Patrick is obviously concerned about Brad because he showed up to school with like bruises Mm -hmm. all over his face. You know, he got fucked up by his dad. Um, And it's a really sad moment because in front of his friends and like a bunch of other people, Brad um, calls Patrick the F word, which is a gay slur. Yeah. And this kind of like launches Patrick into a rage. He attacks Brad and quickly the football team gangs up and overpowers Patrick and starts starts beating the shit out of him. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where Charlie stands up and he kind of goes into like a fugue state. He like kind of does. He kind of like, well, I should say uh, in the movie, movie, he kind of blanks. Um, In the book, he, (laughs) Charlie just has this like ability. Yeah. He's like a superhero. It's funny because earlier in the book, some other kid was like picking on him and he beat the shit out of him too. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, my brother taught me how to fight, like how to like fight like dirty, like fight in the way to like win. Yeah. Basically. So people won't fuck with you again. And I'm like, I kind of love this about Charlie that like his brother was like, he's going to need some help. I'm going to teach him like how to like kill a man. (laughs) (laughs) Or how, how to permanently like damage blind blind him. (laughs) Uh, But so Charlie steps in and just, like takes down two of the jocks and the other ones you're like what the fuck yeah and saves patrick essentially yeah and i think and this is one of those scenes that like i think could have been very cliche where it's like this is a great thing that he did uh but you can tell that charlie's kind of a little disturbed about it and like people are looking at him like what the fuck yeah and he kind of like especially in the movie like really doesn't remember what happened. And I love the movie. We only get glimpses of it later, but there's no fight choreographed thing. It's just like no. suddenly there's blackness and then him coming to. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I, I think it plays it off being like unsettling pretty well, even though he did a good thing in saving Patrick. Yeah. That it, it's kind of showing us where he is mentally right now yeah. and he's not in a good place. Yeah. Um, it does lead to things being kind of better with the friend group. He and Sam are able to make up like Patrick and him are better. And Mary Elizabeth has moved on with another boyfriend. So <laughs> yeah. things are better there. Um, but unfortunately, this begins sort of a downward spiral spiral for Patrick. Um, because he is dealing with a lot. I mean, the one person that he felt like he had a connection with who, you know, growing up in like, I mean, despite Pittsburgh being like a city, you know, it's still not like a really great place for being inclusive sometimes, especially in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, in the early 90s, especially. I mean, I think that's true for like, I think it's really only, like, the big cities where you could really find, like, a community that could be, like, totally open. Yeah. So, like, you know, Patrick has been facing so much. He found someone that he had some kind of love with. And that person has just totally rejected him. Yeah. Like, completely. And um, Patrick kind of takes Charlie along for the ride as he's trying to get himself out of this funk. Um, It's interesting. He takes him to, like 
all of the places in Pittsburgh where like you would go to find queer people. Yeah, to have like a a hookup with another gay person. Yeah, which I think is so interesting, especially in the world before the internet. Yeah, yeah. And there was, I loved this because the book talks about a park in quotes. You know what I mean? There's a park that people go to if they want to, you know, have a hookup and you just kind of like make make eye contact with someone, blah, blah, blah. And in the movie, they specifically call out that it's Shenley Park, which is a real park in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, that's so interesting. Like, I'm so glad. Right in Oakland near um, Pitt, University of Pitt. Yeah. I'm glad they, like, put a name to it and specifically, like, uh, you know, mentioned what what park it is, because I think that's super interesting. Um, But yeah, so Patrick is kind of like taking Charlie around and they're kind of getting fucked up, you know, getting high, getting drunk. And it's sad because Charlie talks about the fact that, like, Patrick really starts off really enthusiastically every night. Yeah. Talking about the future, talking about being free, like, looking forward to things. But then he'll, like, have a hookup or just, like, later on that night, it kind of just, like, fizzles away. And he's kind of, like, really sad again, you know what I mean? And kind of just, like, aimless a bit. So, yeah. And this is, I think the movie does another good job of, in this scene when Patrick and uh, Charlie are... I can never remember Charlie's name. I always blank for a minute. I'm sorry. I don't know why. When Patrick and Charlie are hanging out, um, Patrick kind of tells him the story about when Brad's dad caught them. Yeah. And it was a really powerful scene that we see from Ezra Miller telling the story that I think really worked well. Yeah. And Charlie's kind of trying to comfort him... And in this moment, uh, Patrick kisses Charlie. Yeah. And then kind of in the film, at least, kind of comes to this, like, quick realization that, like, I'm like, that was a mistake. Like, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And apologizes and kind of has this, like, bit of a breakdown, you know, kind of crying and releasing. Um, In the book, though, it's a little more complicated. Yeah. It seems like he kisses him. Quite often, which is odd, because <laughs> yeah. um, Charlie is not into it and is like, "Oh, well, I need to be here, be here as a friend for him, I guess." But yeah, that's a little bit, little bit weird. Um, but I think, despite Patrick going through this hard time, like he does come out of it, you mm-hmm. know, and he there is like kind of a positive uplift where he does kind of move past Brad and is like, "I just can't let this." like, bring me down, and, like, I can't fall into this, like, hating myself like Brad clearly does. Yeah, I, I think I'm <clears throat> I'm glad that, like, I think the movie maybe glossed over this portion a little too quickly. It was like, for a while, Patrick was sad, but then he wasn't, so now we're fine. <laughs> um, but I think that uh, the book does a good job of, like, addressing this, but then also not letting it be, like, this dynamic shift for Patrick that changed him forever and made him jaded. Like, yeah, it was just the time in his life, you know? Yeah. And like, similarly, we have in the book, um, kind of a narrative about Charlie's sister who ends up having to get an abortion and like Charlie takes her. And this is sort of like a bonding experience for them because their relationship was sort of rocky at the beginning of the story. And this brings them together. And this also shows us too, that like, you know, Charlie's sister is breaking out of that cycle. She's leaving this guy who is was abusive to her and is clearly, like, still shitty because he's like, it's not my baby. Yeah. <laughs> God. 
yeah, I guess originally this part was in the movie. I don't know if they filmed it and then cut it or if it was just cut kind of in the script phase. Yeah. Some people rumored that like it was to not give the movie an R rating because hmm. originally it got an R rating uh, before it was eventually given PG-13. Uh, but Shabazki just said like, Honestly, it's like it was just like too much of a downer of a time because it was like right around the time they told Charlie, like, don't come or don't oh, talk yeah. to us anymore. And then his sister has to get an abortion. <laughs> and then like he's like, it was just like too much. And I do think that this is a part that like was cut out very effectively. You I know agree. what I mean? I don't, yeah. And the sister isn't as present in the movie as she is in the book. So no. it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't feel like something's missing. Like there's a hole in the movie or something. Yeah. I do like though, in the book, we get a scene too with, um, Charlie going to his teacher's house for like a lunch. Yeah. And it's like really sweet because it's this moment where the teacher is just telling him that he is like very special and that he's intelligent. And the reason that, he gave him all these books to read and essays to write and homework to do um, was because he is like extremely intelligent and gifted and he wanted to nurture that in Charlie. And it was just like this really positive adult role model in Charlie's life that was really great. And I loved it. Is this an unrealistic standard of cool teacher? Like, is this going too far that like now the teacher has to have the kid over for lunch and like, I don't know if that's like, proper i don't think that that would be cool i now. I, I totally agree <laughs> like maybe in the early 90s you could get away with this yeah but like i i also felt the same way like i'm like mm. <laughs> but i'm glad that it was just like this really cool experience and that charlie just felt like there was someone else in his life that he could go to especially an adult figure yes you know what i mean like it's cool he has friends but also he needs adults to be able to talk to, to as well him. yeah definitely um, so we're at the end of the year, you know, there's graduation, um, there's prom, which Charlie doesn't go to, but Sam and like all of his other friends who are seniors go. Um, and Sam has been dating this like college guy for a while that has been like pretentious as fuck and we hate him. I, yeah, I, I love that there's, I like that the movie fleshes out a little bit more two characters. Um, the sister's boyfriend, yeah, ponytail Derek, is yes. that right? Mm -hmm. Who comes across as like this hippy dippy, like nice guy, and then ends up being an asshole. Which I like that it's like, hey, yeah. nice men can be misogynists too. Uh, <laughs> and then also Craig, how he's just like so pretentious. He's like that stereotypical college guy. Yeah, yeah. And like, there's not like a ton of characterization there, but I love that like these because I felt like in the book they were just very flat. Yeah. There's just like the sister's boyfriend and, and Craig was around too. Yeah. Uh, and I also appreciate that they didn't force Charlie into the prom situation. No, just like get, he's he's a freshman. He's yeah, not going to prom. He doesn't have to date someone like <laughs> whatever. Uh, but so it, it, it's almost like a footnote in the movie. It's more dramatic in the book, but they're like, also, by the way, Craig was cheating on Sam like the entire year and. You know, that oh, well, super good. <laughs> but they do break up um, yeah. and Sam gets accepted to Penn State, which is exciting. But she's going to the summer program. So she's leaving like kind of at the end of the year instead of at the end of the summer. And so we're going to have like this going away party for her. And so they all go and like there's a lot of stuff going on. They're all feeling it. And Sam and Charlie kind of have this 
encounter together. Yeah, Charlie just happens to stick around till everyone else leaves the house and like he's like oh no it's like just you and me now and <laughs> but 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 really though they they're he's helping her pack up um in her room and they kind of like start this larger discussion yeah if you will about charlie and him and kind of what he wants in his life and what he wants out of his friendships. I like this because Sam is calling him out a bit. Yeah. Which I like because the whole book and movie were like, oh, like Charlie's such a nice guy. Like he's just like very sensitive. He thinks through a lot of things. Like he's very introverted. But Sam is kind of like, why didn't you ask me out? Like, I know you like me. Yeah. Why didn't you ask me out? And he was like, well, I just like, I didn't want to overstep. Like, I didn't know if you were into it. Like, I wanted you to be happy. And she was like, I can't feel that, though. Like, when you're saying, like, you just want me to be happy and you want the best for me. Like, I can't feel that. Like, I need you to, to, if you care about me and if you love me, be there. Don't be like a martyr. Yeah. And this is another scene that, like, on paper should not work. Yeah. Because, like, so many stories already, you know, the coming of age tale is about, like, Oh, and, like, when you grow up, you just have to learn that, like, if you like a girl, you just got to kiss her. And, like, who cares if she likes you back? You got you to gotta make her like you. And that's what life's about. And, like, too many stories, like, have that narrative already. And it's yeah. hard to, like, tell a, a male character in a story who's, like, very sensitive and, like, very respectful to, like, you know, go after the girl. Like, I think that is an easy pitfall that, like, could have not read well or worked out well um but i think it's just a testament to the book and movie that like on the groundwork it laid out that you know who charlie is you know who sam is and like what she's saying is true yeah and she's telling him like you need to tell people what you need and what you want like you have to stand up for yourself and she brings up like his relationship with mary elizabeth in the book when they're having this discussion and she's like you just like let her treat you the way that she treated you and like that didn't work out. Like you have to be able to tell people like, Hey, I'm not comfortable with this or Hey, I want this from you. You know, Mm -hmm. like you have to be honest and like not being honest and just trying to be nice and make people happy is not going to work. Yeah. And you can tell Charlie like really is trying to connect with her. He, he gives us one line about like, we've been through similar things. Yeah. And like, if you only knew kind of, um, and then, You know, she just kind of says, like, you need to, like, go for what you actually want and that will make you happy. And he kind of takes that leap and he kisses her. Yeah. And, you know, one of those moments, like I said, that, like, is very cringy in other movies, but, like, I think works really well here. Mm -hmm. And so they, like, kind of move to her bed. Things are getting, like, more romantic. Uh, They get a little farther in the book, you know what I mean, in terms of, like, taking their clothes off and, like, actually, you know, touching each other. In the film, she just kind of puts her hand on his thigh and he has this moment where he kind of like pulls back. Yeah. And 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 Sam is very like, oh my, like, I'm so sorry. Like, what what's wrong? Like, did, you know, something wrong? And Charlie just kind of isn't sure. Like, he's just kind of in a weird like haze or yeah. kind of like shocked almost or stunned. Like he can't describe what's going on. Yeah. With him. And, and Sam kind of interprets this like, okay, you're not ready. Like it's fine. We can stop. And he wants to be like, that's not it. But like, he can't put his finger on it. Yeah. The book 
movie take very interesting directions here. The book very clearly spells out what happens next that he kind of starts having this like breakdown a little bit yeah and sam kind of has to like take him over to the couch she lays him down she kind of like takes care of him he's kind of really like emotionally shaken yeah and and i don't think sam understands why like i think she knows obviously it had something to do with them um fooling around but you know it's not clear and then um but in the uh in the movie though he kind of plays it off like everything's fine. And they start kissing again, and then it cuts away. Mm-hmm. So it's very unclear if they actually had sex or not. Mm. My original interpretation was that they did, since he just kind of like goes back into kissing her, and that's when we leave it. Yeah. But then later, like in the following morning, he still seems very like, and it could just be Sam leaving, but he seems very like shaken still. And I'm like, I can't imagine. And when we know what's really going on, like it's hard to imagine that he would have like been able to have like a good sexual experience dealing with what he's dealing with. So I'm not totally positive. And I'm, it maybe is just supposed to be ambiguous. I don't know. Uh, I never took it that they had sex. You didn't? Okay. But then again, I've read the book. So I know I'm coming from that spot. But, you know, Sam ends up leaving, going to college. And then directly afterwards, Charlie has this like really hardcore disassociative episode. And in fact, he is like catatonic and they have to take his family has to take him to to the hospital. I thought in the movie, this scene played out so well with the cutting back and forth between, um... Sam asking him what's wrong, the, yeah. the thigh touch, then cutting to his aunt Helen, mm-hmm. um, and then back to him. Like, and and huge. We haven't talked about him yet, but the um, actor who plays Charlie, who I'm blanking on at the moment, Logan Lerman. Logan Lerman, thank you, is fantastic in this movie, specifically in this scene when he's just crying and like telling himself to stop. Yeah. Um, I thought this was one of the best edited moments of the movie. Um, but obviously the realization is that his aunt Helen, uh, sexually abused him when he was, when he was a kid. Yeah. And he has repressed these memories for years and has developed PTSD because of it. And like, I think tied with the fact that she died, um, is like very complex. You know, he was dealing with feeling like maybe he wanted her to die because of what was happening and like feeling the need to like completely repress this as a way to deal with this as at such a young age. Um, But he has this breakdown and we find out that he is in the hospital and he's been there for like two months, kind of trying, this is like kind of an epilogue in the book and kind of told to us in the movie, like, you know, I spent this time here And, like, really finally face this truth about his life and is finally, like, getting help, like, seeing a psychiatrist and talking about it. You know, they, like, end up having to tell his family what happened. And it's really sad to imagine and to see, like, his parents realizing what had happened to him and his siblings realizing what happened to him and that they were powerless to stop it, you know? Yeah, it's... It's sad, but, like, obviously, like, healthy and good that he's, like, able to talk to someone about this and be honest about what happened. Um, and we get, like, kind of an an epilogue on the epilogue where Patrick and Sam, he finally is, you know, released from the hospital. 
and then Patrick and Sam come back home and he gets to visit with them before like the official college year begins. And, you know, they get dinner and uh, then Sam reveals in the film that she found the song that they didn't know what it was like a year ago. Yeah. And so they take a, a drive to the Fort Pitt Tunnel drive through it listening to David Bowie's Heroes and we just get like a really good closing moment in both versions um with Charlie getting to stand in the back of the the truck finally you know being the one in the truck with his face in the wind and kind of experiencing this moment for himself yeah and taking control of his life and kind of being positive that like we can't control what happened to us in the past, but we can control what happens to us in our future. And I just want to read a passage that talks about going through the tunnel. And it's so, so great. And I'll let me just start here. There's something about that tunnel that leads to downtown. It's glorious at night, just glorious. You start on one side of the mountain and it's dark and the radio is loud. And as you enter the tunnel, the wind gets sucked away and you squint from the lights overhead. When you adjust to the lights, you can see the other side in the distance, just as the sound of the radio fades to nothing because the waves just can't reach. Then you're in the middle of the tunnel and everything becomes a calm dream. As you see the opening get closer, you just can't get there fast enough. And finally, just when you think you'll never get there, you see the opening right in front of you. And the radio comes back even louder than you remember it. And the wind is waiting. And you fly out of the tunnel onto the bridge. And there it is, the city. A million lights and buildings and everything seems as exciting as the first time you saw it. It really is a grand entrance. I love I love that just really great description and capture of like what it is driving through that tunnel and everything and like not being afraid to like romanticize Pittsburgh. Yeah, because I think a lot of people like Pittsburgh can be shit on and is kind of a joke to an extent. It is a small city. It's kind of shitty. It is shitty. Oh, yeah. (laughs) We have our problems for sure. Um, but there is a, a beauty to it that I yeah. really have always liked. So I, I'm glad that uh, Shabosky was able to capture that so effectively in the book. Yeah. So which version is better, Ian? Uh, <laughs> um, I took time to think about this one because I wasn't sure <laughs> which I would say. And what I'll say is that I think the book is a fantastic i think it's really well written i really enjoyed it it's obviously the like the original version of the story um and it dives into certain topics in a deeper way and like really fleshes out themes of the story but i will say i was so taken by the film Mm -hmm. when we watched it like surprisingly um or i should say i was surprised by how much i enjoyed it and honestly, as soon as it was done and I still feel this way, like I want to watch it again. <laughs> like I genuinely want to put it on again because it was like so just funny and heartfelt and like sincere and effective. Um, and I definitely want to return to it again very soon. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I'm not even like saying this is like it's the superior version but it's maybe the version I'm more eager to return to. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say the movie. I'm going to say the book. <gasps> I know we're disagreeing. We're disagreeing. We like hardly ever disagree. <laughs> and I mean, we're hardly disagreeing, but. <laughs> well, and I love the movie too. I just think that the book 
has such a raw impact. And when you talk mm-hmm. about that rawness, like it's all there. Um, and specifically, I remember reading it when I was younger and feeling like it was very important. And like reading books about mental illness specifically that portray it in a way that's real, but also portray it in a way that's like hopeful, you know? Yeah. And Shabatsky has ta- talked about how he's gotten so many like letters and emails and like just reaction from teens reading it and being like, I thought I was alone. Wow. Um, so I'm going to say the book, but I also really enjoy the movie. So I respect your decision. (laughs) (laughs) We won't fight over this when the podcast is done. Yeah. I mean, they're both excellent, excellent versions of the story. And yeah, yeah. I can't blame you for going with the book. So I'm going to read Katie's thoughts now, who was the one who suggested the episode. She said, um, I picked this book cause it's my, been my favorite since I read it my sophomore year of high school. So not too far off from how old Charlie would have been in the book. And I immediately resonated with him. Um, this was also the first book that I read that discussed such raw topics like abortion, homophobia, abuse, and depression. And it really opened my eyes. Maybe just kind of sit there and realize there's so much that a person could be going through or hiding that you don't even realize. Um, she talks about how the author portrays teens like in a realistic way um i remember when i first read it and when charlie talks about how he is both happy and sad and he's trying to figure out how that's possible it made me realize that maybe i wasn't the only person who felt that way and i wasn't so alone um i was worried that those types of messages would get lost in the movie but thank goodness she steven shabosky wrote the screenplay and directed it because i don't think anyone else could have done the film justice um also something interesting that happened when i first read the book I told my dad that I needed to watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, and he said he used to go watch live performances and that he would drive through the Fort Pitt Tunnel when he would visit his brother at college in Pittsburgh. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, she said they've been trying for years to go to Pittsburgh to do like a road trip to see all the places. And so she hopes that someday um, she can make that trip. That's awesome. Yeah, we hope you can visit someday, Katie, and that you can go through the tunnel and play the song of your choice. Yeah, and, you know, maybe stand on a pickup truck at, at your own risk. I'm not, Be safe. I'm not advising for that, but, like, if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, great thoughts. Thank you. We'll be posting uh, her thoughts on our Patreon page for anyone to go and read and look at. Yeah. Um, thank you for uh, sharing those and for just recommending this story to begin with. We've definitely wanted to do it, and it, it's been great. Yes. So let's do lightning round. Let's do a lightning. So first thing I want to mention for lightning round is in the book, um, Charlie's dad gives him like a talk when he's first like dating Mary Elizabeth. And this is the way it's described in the book. Now, he was saying things like, I know you're old man, but you can't be too careful these days and wear protection. And if she says no, then you have to assume she means it. Because if you force her to do something she doesn't want to do, then you're in big trouble, mister. And even if she says no and really means yes, and quite frankly, she's playing games and isn't worth the price of dinner. (laughs) I love that scene so much because like he's very, very like pro consent in that. Yeah. And also Charlie mentions that like he's not the kind of guy who's like embarrassed about stuff like that. Yeah. He just kind of like says it. Matter of fact. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, There's a part in the book and the movie which was like great where uh, Mary Elizabeth like insists on calling Charlie like right after school (laughs) and Charlie's like why like I've like tell you about the bus ride or my walk home. I just saw you. Yeah I just saw you and at one point Mary Elizabeth 
with is just like she can go on and on by herself for so long that like Charlie just sets the phone down. <laughs> and in the film, he has like a whole conversation with his parents where they're like, she's still on the phone. They're like, we need to use the phone. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, just break up with her, Charlie. And he's like, I can do that. <laughs> it's really funny. There's also a bit in the book where um, when he's kind of on a break from the friend group, he's like feeling really lonely. So he goes to the mall to like watch people and like just creeps on this like one little boy who gets lost at the mall and then like the mom and then they're eating French fries later. And he's like, yes, what a commentary this is on like how all of us are like lost in a mall and then eating French fries with our mom. And I'm like, this is really weird. You should probably not follow them anymore, Charlie. <laughs> so then they went back to their house, which is on this street. And I watched her talk him into, into bed at night. Um, and just final thing is like, I think the casting of this movie is really interesting. Cause like, I think Shabosky just asked like Emma Watson straight up. I think she got like first offer on the role of Sam. Yeah. And which she took and he like promised like, this will be like one of the best performances you've ever done. And also one of the best summers of your life. And then um, Ezra Miller interviewed over Skype. And I guess like five hours after the interview, they cast him because he was just so energetic and like charismatic over the Skype call that like he sold them on the part. Wow. And Logan Lerman was only the second person they one of two people they actually auditioned for the role. Wow. Because he was the second person. And after they auditioned him, they were just like, I mean, that's the kid, right? (laughs) So like, damn, I think and I think it's true that like everyone in this movie is just so perfect for the role. And I think they really make the magic of the film. Yeah. And I think that speaks to like the casting decisions where like everyone was either like a first choice or like given the offer like immediately. That's so cool. Yeah. That's uh, lightning round. That's it for lightning round. Thank and you again to Katie for requesting this yes. episode. Um, if you would like to support us, you can become a patron just like Katie. We give priority to patron requests and we've been doing them pretty frequently lately because we love to do the episodes that you want to hear. Yeah. Um, so patrons of any level um, get access to our bonus episodes and also get to request episodes. Um, so head on over to Patreon if you would like to support us there. Yes. Also find us on Twitter, uh, cover to credits pod. I forget what Twitter on is. On Twitter? It's cover to credits. It's just cover to credits. I'm sorry. Uh, find us on What's Instagram. What's wrong with you, just Ian? <laughs> search it. It's fine. You'll find it. Uh, cover to credits. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. I remembered that one. Uh, just let us know what you think of Perks of Being a Wallflower, whether you prefer the, uh, the book or the movie. And once again, let us know what your tunnel song is. We want to know. We should like make a playlist. We should make like a Spotify playlist. Oh my god, that'd be so cool. All the suggestions we get. We're gonna do it. Yeah. But you have to do it. But you have to do it. (laughs) You have to pull your weight so that we can do it. Yeah. So email or tweet us or whatever what your tunnel song is, and we'll make a playlist on Spotify. Cool. Uh thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.